welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summary. Hey everybody, this week I am joined by Kate Cordell, CEO, Chief Scientific Officer and Co-Founder at Opeka, as well as CMO and fellow co-founder Ken Connect. So, Dr. Cordell is a nationwide thought leader for behavioral health technology, integrating data systems to support a whole person approach to care. She's built models for federal, state, county, healthcare providers and community-based agencies to convert behavioral health and social program data into decisions and decisions into positive outcomes. Ken is a veteran in software design and digital marketing with over 30 years of experience working with hundreds of businesses from brand conception to multi-channel marketing. And together they have founded Opeka, which is a company that enables success-focused care to promote well-being for all, improving well-being by identifying what works. So Kate and Ken, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you both doing? Good. Doing great. Thank you for having us, James. You're very welcome, guys. Where about are you speaking to us from today? We are located uh, just outside of Sacramento, California in the US, um, in Folsom, California. Oh, very nice. Very nice part of the world. And I'm sure the weather much better than it is here in the UK. I, and I hope I come to you at a good time today. I know we tried this once before and I realized it was literally the middle of the night. Um, so apologies again for that when I sent you back to bed and said we could rearrange. Um, but yeah, I imagine this is a much better time. I hope it is. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you. Thanks for being flexible. <laughs> not at all. Not at all, guys. So, yeah, looking forward to getting into this. Um, and I guess the first question that I tend to ask on here is for you guys to tell your story. Now, there's obviously two of you, which makes things interesting. So, one at a time, if you will. Why don't you tell me your story? I'll start. So, my story is that uh, I had no intention of ever becoming an entrepreneur. I set out in my career to do um, research and specifically research on mental illness and I actually started out at the lab bench doing drug discovery for mental illness, schizophrenia, other types of mental illness, um, and do have a drug patented for that. But uh, I left the, the bench because I fell in love with um, the data side of things and actually started to uh, work for a software company at that point that was doing in silico drug discovery. So basically computer-aided AI drug discovery. And this was in 1999. I'm dating wow. myself here. But um, so I got into AI very, very early uh, compared to probably many listeners. Not all, I'm sure. Um, and then I got my master's in statistics because I fell in love with uh, data and AI. Uh, I still wanted to apply it to the mental health, mental illness uh, research field. And so I actually, from there, did in vivo drug studies, so in mice, um, and was in analyzing neurological disorders like mice running on treadmills and looking at using AI to identify, you know, the gait of the mice um, on the treadmill and so forth. Um, but it felt like I was moving a little bit further away from my goal in my career at that point. So I went back to school and got my PhD in social welfare at UC Berkeley. And the goal at that point was to bring more of a social uh, environmental lens to the problem I was trying to solve with mental illness. I felt like the medical model 
was good at producing uh, pharmaceuticals, but they weren't considering all the aspects that relate to mental health. And so then I spent the next 10 years, but it sounds like there's a lot of time here, but I spent <laughs> the next 10 years building technology solutions to make better use out of the information that we had for people with mental illness. So taking the data from the systems where they were being served and unifying it and merging it with other pieces of information that would help provide a 360 view of people in care. So just as an example, I did a project in San Francisco where I unified data for foster youth between child welfare and mental health so that we could get a better understanding of how when um, kids have placement changes, there's behavioral health impacts. And uh, instead of working in silos between those groups, as we do here in the United States, that maybe those groups of providers could work together and get ahead of the changes that would come with those changes in that child's life. So just as an example, but here in the United States, our care is so fragmented. You guys are, are much more lucky having a you know, national health service. We unfortunately have a lot of fragmented care and it really became apparent to me here in the United States, especially that we weren't using the data that we had in a way to support the people in care. And uh, so I moved from consulting into uh, building a product. And I had pitched my idea, which I had envisioned a person-centered intelligence solution a few times um, to various folks, uh, technology folks and, and businesses I'd run into um, over the years. And then I hired Ken as a subcontractor on one of my projects and I pitched the idea to him and he was the first one that saw my vision and I'll pass it to you, Ken. All right. Well, thanks, Kate. Um, so unlike Kate, um, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, I, at a very young age, I remember just hustling in grade school, you know, and, uh, Actually, in high school, I started my first business. My official business was a was a mobile disc jockey service. Excellent. So uh, that was my first kind of entry into uh, into business. After that, I went off to college. Went to school for actually gra for graphic design because I've always been a big just a big UI UX guy, a design guy. And uh, at that time, they were offering these web development classes, and I was like, "What's what is the web?" It was that uh, kind of dating myself here, but. I took a web development class, and from the from the first class, I was kind of like, I'm sold. Uh, so I remember at that time going to my professors and saying, my design professors and saying, I'm I'm switching switching gears here. I'm doing this web thing, and they they kind of laughed and said, Well, ride that wave while you can. Is exactly what they said to me. So I rode the wave. So uh, in college, I actually started a, a web development business with a couple of friends. And so we we did that. I started working with just a, a wide range of clients, uh, doing a lot of the front end, but also doing a lot of back end development. So got into that. Uh, once I graduated, I, I went to work for a number of startups, uh, helping build startups, uh, doing some of the coding, um, doing some of the UI, and then eventually getting into marketing. So I've got a, I'm kind of that weird unicorn that uh, not only builds it, but I market it as well. Amazing. So yeah, so it's 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 kind of neat, kind of a neat perspective to be uh, somebody who can who builds the software and then goes out and then markets it. So, but yeah, so I met Kate uh, during my I was I had my own consulting business and she had hers. Uh, we met. Uh, she brought me in on a few projects, uh, and I was just blown away by her vision uh, for this for this product and some of the things that she was doing and things she was trying to solve. And, you know, I have lived experience in mental health, so it was very kind of near and dear to me to, to see that she was trying to do something about uh, the fragmentation of, of the system, uh, here, especially here in America. And uh, so we worked on a project together, and uh, she, she pitched her vision to me, and I said, well, what can I do to make this into a piece of software? So... I, I stitched everything together in, in mock-ups, and we went out 
and started showing people and, and seeing what kind of interest we had. And, and there was a lot of interest. So we said uh, we set out to build a company and that's kind of where we're at. I love it. And you had me at DJing and graphic designing. What a life that would be for me. Like, I feel like, I feel like, I feel seen with you, Ken, honestly. I really do. But uh, before before we just geek out on that stuff, Kate, I wanted to ask you, your background is super interesting. I mean, obviously, I'm in health tech and a background like yours is, it's, it's sort of like the optimal health tech background. You've got all of the skill, you've learned all of the skills on that journey that you need to be a sort of learned entrepreneur, which is interesting when you then combine it with Ken's, you know, I've always been entrepreneurial, you know, hustling as a kid and in high school and stuff. So it's really interesting and nice how those two things play together. But I also like in UK, you're very, um, you're very much driven by by a vision, a goal. You kept mentioning the goal that you've got in life, right? The goal that you've got in life to really serve and to find a solution for for mental health problems. That really comes through in what you're doing and that motivation and passion. And you mentioned an interesting bit, and I like talking about careers because I think talking about careers and people moving on this podcast, I think is, I think it's relatable to everybody. And and one thing that I think is really relatable is that you you hit a moment where you were, <laughs> I mean, really cool for health tech, but where you were using AI to identify the gate in mice, but you said you were moving away from your goal and you acknowledged that in yourself. And you, you realize, and I think we've all been there. We've all been there when we think like, I'm just on the wrong path. I think there's something that isn't exciting me about the next stage that isn't quite there for me. And as I say, I think we've all been there at some point. And you went and did a PhD in social welfare, which really feels like a, a you know, quite different, like quite tangibly different. But, you know, then you combined that with everything that you'd done before, which I think is the interesting learning point, doing something different and changing tack, that you can do that. You can combine it with something else. And then you combined it with this, again, love and passion for solving mental health problems to then go, look, I'm, I don't want this to be a pharmaceutical output. I want this to be a, a greater output based more on something which is then more social. Can you talk to me about that, about making that decision about how you felt about how you then combined it with everything. Was that part of a grand plan? Was it something that you'd thought about? I mean, talk to me about that part of your career. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what PhD I wanted. Um, I knew that I wanted to go back to school um, and get that higher level of education. And I looked at, I don't know how many programs and applied to, to, to many before I decided on which one I wanted to go to. When you're interested in mental health and mental illness, there's no clear cut program to go to. Psychology is is all about what's in your head. Right. And, and it's not there's so much in a psychology PhD that's not considering the social environment around you. And honestly, I didn't even know what social welfare was. Um, it wasn't until actually UC Berkeley approached me that I considered going to through one of the projects I was doing similar to the one in San Francisco where I was unifying data. They approached me and they said, come, come get a degree at, at UC Berkeley in social welfare. I was like, OK, I looked at I don't know. I looked at bioengineering and, you know, I looked at um, human development and I looked at psychology and I looked at, you know, all these different programs. Nothing seemed to fit with what I wanted in terms of addressing mental illness. I, I didn't I, I just felt there was so much more of this social environmental component we weren't considering. And I couldn't find a degree program that encapsulated that. 
So when I looked at social welfare, which I hadn't considered at all after being approached, I was like, this is it. This mm. is the, and they have a mental health focus within social welfare. And, you know, and that really looks at the um, the social need, you know, the unmet social need, your social economic statics, your class, your safety of your neighborhood, you know, combined with your mental health, your genetics and, you know, some of the uh, your your history, your traumatic experiences. Um, and it, it brings that all together and looks at mental health from a, you know, 360 degree perspective as social welfare does. And so when I saw that, I said, that's it. That's the degree that I'm, 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 and I was just on a straight line at that point. I had stopped, I stopped looking and went and got my degree. So I had been looking for, I don't know, at least five or six years at different programs, um, trying to find out how can we, how can we address this problem in a unique and innovative way that I don't feel like, you know, cause I, like Ken, we both have family members trying to navigate the system and it's, it's not good at best. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and at worst, I'm sure there's plenty of uh, harsher criticism that you could give it. I, I, I know here in the UK we have similar challenges, right? Um, it's interesting, actually, that you you talked about the US being a fragmented system and you know us being lucky here in the UK to have single payer. It's far, far from the truth. You know, the reality, the reality of it is that we we talk about the fragmentation of healthcare here all the time. And and, and again, in reality, single payer, nah, because it crosses a threshold and then you've got to put the hand in your own pocket or private healthcare, or we do have insurers. We do, you know, there's, there's, there's all of these different things here too, just in different proportion, I think, which is how it can often look and perhaps feel internationally like we do have single payer system and it's all nicely coordinated, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, the reality is somewhat, somewhat different. Ken, coming to you next, DJ, graphic designer, web developer, marketer, Honestly, I, I just feel so seen. I just feel so seen. I don't know which bit to, to ask you about first, but what music are you DJing? You know what? At the time, I was mid-90s, and I was doing you know, mostly uh, just popular top 40, but a lot of hip-hop. Nice. So it was back in when, uh, you know, when, hip-hop, when hip-hop was actually good, when <laughs> rap was actually good. Um. <laughs> oh man! Before before we descend the podcast into that entirely, <laughs> I guess I guess I'll, I guess I'll move on because I could probably talk to you for a long time about 90s hip-hop. I'll just say it was an age it was an age before auto tune. Yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely, absolutely. Talk to me about when Kate approached you with this idea. Talk to me about what went through your mind. Um, you've alluded to a you've both alluded to personal a personal relationship with these problems based on family members and th- and, and people that you know and things like that. I mean. Talking about the idea as it was when it came to you and, and perhaps the early days of founding with Kate. Yeah, for sure. So so when lived experience for me was uh, having lost my mother at a, at a very young age. I was I think it was a year and a half, not even two years old. Um, my family kind of, you know, at that point, you know, there was there was substance abuse. Uh, there was depression, obviously. And uh, so I grew up in that atmosphere, just just kind of living that. And um, it. it uh, you know, it was a, quite a struggle growing up, um, you know, just different uh, people in and out of my life. Um, so, you know, when, when I, I did eventually meet Kate, she had mentioned uh, some of the work that she was doing. And it just touched me because, you know, I had been through some of the uh, some of the stuff that she's, you know, set out to, to try and solve. So it was I was very going through the system. Right. You've been in the system. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I just saw that, uh, you know, I really saw that there wasn't really much being done to, to help people uh, that were suffering from mental illness or having family members who suffer from mental illness and substance abuse. Uh, there wasn't a lot that's I mean, there was things being done, but it was nothing that substantial that you could track and look at progress and see if you were getting better. So I really love that idea that uh, that Kate had, had pitched to me that, you know, we can look at trajectories of recovery over time and see if what you're doing in care is actually working for you specifically. So, um, yeah, I just I at that point, I was like, wow, this is much bigger than me. This is much bigger than the, the work that I'm doing currently. I was, you know, I was just consulting for different businesses, but I wasn't changing lives. I wasn't saving lives. So uh, when she uh, brought that idea forward, I was I was kind of like, wow, whatever I can do uh, to help bring this to light and get this thing uh, built and out there and get the world using it. Um, I'm, I'm all in. Amazing. So tell me then, perhaps, Kate, how did you go from an idea to reality on this? What were the first things that you guys did together to create an MVP or did you, did you have to raise capital? I mean, how, how did you go about those early days of uh, just before the engine starts purring of a business? What was that initial bit like, I suppose, building that initial engine? Yeah. So, you know, we had, I, I had personally spent five or six years at that point building technology solutions you know, for various agencies and organizations, you know, to, to begin to solve this problem here, there, hither, tither, you know, as there were roadblocks, um, they would use a consultant and, and I'd come in and, and, you know, stitch data together to try to help them see crossed, you know, different areas of their business so that they could get a more clear and whole picture of the people they were serving. And, um, yeah, when when Ken came on board, we I was doing a project um, where you know this was for uh, a Department of Social Services at the state level, and you know again they were they were trying to see across um, in unified formation in this case for you know foster youth with mental illness or mental disorders, and I had that vision, and and as I mentioned, Ken saw it, and so he took my vision, which was really scratches on paper. And I just want to give him credit. I wouldn't do. I would never have been able to do this by myself. Um, I really did need a co-founder. I know there's a lot of folks out there that are like single founders, or you know, maybe they have a co-founder, maybe they're looking for one. I would have never gotten off the ground without a co-founder. I really needed somebody to bounce the ideas off and take what was formulaic in my mind, because I'm you know, I love math. I'm very, you know, AI math oriented. And so I could write on a piece of paper, here's the formula we need to implement, but how do I bring that to life so that an end user, you know, who maybe doesn't like math (laughs) feels like they can engage with the solution. So I'll pass it to you, Ken, but he he took my chicken scratches and they literally were pieces of printer paper. I would draw stick figures and formulas on. I'm not kidding. And I would hand them to him and say, can you bring this? This is what I'm envisioning. <laughs> you know, the person's going to engage with the software like this and it's going to do that. And I'd have arrows. I should have said, I should have framed some of them. I had, I would, that's how we engage. And I said, can you bring that to life? And and then here's some of the things I've built in the past. So I would just throw at him, you know, here's some of the problems I've solved. Here's some paper of how to stitch it together. Ken, what can you come up with? <laughs> yeah, and, and Kate's absolutely right. You know, you, you know, a lot of people are usually they like math or hate math. I hate math. I appreciate it, but I hate it. I'm, I'm the creative guy, so I'm the one who, uh, you know, I loved writing. I love, you know, I love music. Obviously, as a DJ, but I've, uh, I'm more in tune with my creative side. So that's why I think we're Kate and I are such a good, uh, good team. Uh, 
you know, like she said, she draws stuff on, on you know, scratch paper um, and I can take it and kind of build something that's, you know, the, the world sees as something that's beautiful and is user friendly. So our, our first project was was the one she mentioned for for the uh, social services, part of social services. And uh, she, she gave me some drawings and I, I started stitching together in Photoshop some some what, uh, you know, what a UI might look like. And then I, uh, I put those mockups into a program called Envision and I stitched them together into what looked like you know, actual usable software. You can click and advance to different screens and do different things. And that was our pitch. I mean, we went out and we, we showed that and people, you know, they actually thought it was live software. They're like, wow, you guys already built this. I'm like, no, this is not your <laughs> pictures, but we can build this. <laughs> so right. that, that's what built the initial excitement, you know, uh, these mockups. So I think Kate and I got really excited. We saw the excitement from people um, that we were pitching to. Uh, you know, at the time, this is pre-COVID, we did a lot of investor pitches and uh, mental health wasn't a big deal. People weren't really talking about it and investors didn't want anything to do with it. So we had a hard time, actually. Uh, we had a lot of interest from people who were in the field mm -hmm. uh, that understood the problem and understood, you know, what we're trying to do. But when we were trying to raise capital, uh, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. We, we did a lot of pitches and people just stared at us with blank, it's kind of this blank stare, like, what are you guys trying to do? It was nothing, there was nothing sexy about it to them. And then of course the pandemic hit and the mental health became a, the number one topic for a lot of people. And a lot of investors wanted to, wanted to get on, on that. So uh, we actually got started to get a little interest there. We, we did raise some capital uh, a few years ago. We raised a seed round, uh, was able to kind of get us to the point where we are now. So we, we launched our product uh, roughly a year ago. Uh, we've got currently got about 13 clients and we've got a, a very full pipeline. So things are really starting to ramp up. Amazing. Yeah. I think for anybody listening that wants to or is on the fence about a co-founder or wondering what value a co-founder can bring, it is as simple as you are viewing here. Two people with completely complementary skills coming together with the same passion aligned to the same vision and those complementary skills work together to form a formidable team and that's the whole point i mean quite clearly kate and ken you have completely different skill sets completely different things about you that make this work and that there's crossover but there's crossover on passion and vision and what you want there to be crossover yeah. on but yes. you know kate you, you're you're not going to be asked to do anything within vision and to think creatively about in possible i mean you'll be in the conversations about say digital marketing or marketing full stop you know you'll be you'll be informed perhaps and, and consulted perhaps but you know that's ken's domain and that's fine and if it's mathematical kate you're involved and that you know it's just it's just quite clear to me that i think a lot of people try and do these things on their own and like you say kate i'm similar to you you know my my businesses have all been uh co-founded and like I'm way better for it. I think having the self-awareness and humility to know what you're good at and what you're not is extremely important and not trying to think that you can learn everything or that you can do everything and that other people are perhaps better than you at some things. And it can make life a lot more enjoyable as well, I think, co-founding. And you guys clearly have that relationship as well, which is really nice. So tell me what the product is. What What, what is the product today? What is it? What does it do? And, and who does it do it for? So the product is um, a software as a service. So we're 100% technology. Um, there's no um, clinicians or anything like that. So we're software as a service. And what we do is we 
will connect to EMRs, electronic medical records, and EHRs, electronic health records, um, and case management systems and everywhere that data lives that has information about a person in care. And we'll take that data out and ingest it into what is a person-centered intelligence, which basically creates a visual journey map of that person in care so that you can see where they started, where they were, you know, at their highest level of need or their, 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 the worst point in care, um, and then where they are today. And it brings it together from multiple different records so that you can get a more of a holistic picture of that person. So you can see alongside their diagnosis, you know, you can see um, also their uh, traumatic experiences. You can see their circumstances, preferences, their cultural belief systems that would influence the kinds of care that they might be interested in. Um, you can see, you know, uh, the, the best predictor of the, the future is, is the past. So you can see their past needs because the chances are those might come up again, right? And so you can really begin to understand uh, this person as a whole person uh, with their family members too. It includes family need and, you know, generational trauma and things like that, um, stigma that they may be experiencing. And I think of the person as a whole person rather than as um, a specimen, which is, I think, how we generally treat folks in care. Uh, so that that's what it does. It, it takes the information, makes it into a journey map or what we call a story map and unifies it between different systems. And then our AI, which, of course, um, i gotten into early on, um, our AI recognizes patterns of success. We don't we, we really try to destigmatize the field. Uh, a lot of times what will happen is that you'll the software will do risk stratification on people and label them as high risk. But that doesn't really help understand why and what to do. So instead of doing that, we do success-focused pattern recognition. We identify who has made it through the system successfully and resolve symptoms and address their needs. And how can we learn from that and apply that to the next person who comes in who might have a similar story to that person who was successful? And so we have what we call success-focused AI that identifies patterns of success through those journey maps or those story maps. And then when somebody comes into care, it will recognize all of the people that look like that person that have come before and make recommendations on the types of treatments, tactics, and tools that might work for that person. So it may recommend an app. It may say, hey, you know, this chatbot works really well for people like this or, you know, this talk therapy, or this group therapy, or this medication, or, you know, it, it, it will recognize based on that contextualized story, what works for whom. I really, really like this. The, the first thing is, when so many people say person-centered, so many people say person-centric, or a, another version of, of that, this actually is, I've heard it in your backgrounds, and the way that you've talked already about how much you value the actual full holistic person but even in that description you talked about their needs you talked about culture you said the whole person it's it's about everything isn't it that's the dna of this it's about understanding the whole person but the interesting thing to me is that there's business reason behind that you know we live in capitalist culture like it or lump it that 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 is it that's how we realize value in the world and actually there is clear benefit to understanding the entire person. And as part of that, 
I think it's about appreciating that there's complexity. And that's what you've wonderfully done. You found a way to actually appreciate the complexity of how complex a person is, how complex the system is. But you're, but what you do appreciates all of that. You're not trying to simplify anything other than that one patient's journey through the complexity. You're not trying to turn the whole system into one app. You're not trying to weave people through the system any quicker or anything like that. You are doing that, but just by simplifying that one patient's journey, which I think is really nice and, and really clever because I think a lot of people try and are still trying to simplify things in various places. But where you guys just appreciate the complexity and go, we're going to understand the whole person, we're going to understand the whole system, and we're just going to make recommendations for how every individual person goes through it. That's sort of true personalization, isn't it? I mean, it's it's really it's really smart. It's really clever. And it nicely brings together both of your expertises, but also particularly your background, Kate, and, and that U-turn that you did, like AI for gate of mice versus phd in social welfare you know you, you all of a sudden now it's like i'm actually le- using everything i've learned here which is extremely cool i also like just on a personal note as well i, I kind of like the um that you call it success focused ai pattern recognition like that success focused ai it's just nicer to be part of something that's focused on success rather than failure right perhaps that's just framing and that that is some psychology perhaps or something but you're more interested in playing to strengths and doubling down on strengths than you are making up for weaknesses and i think your the way that you've built your product it, it sort of leans into that like i play tennis right and like i I've got a very good forehand and a very average backhand. I'd much rather play on the forehand side and just double down on hitting forehands than I would constantly trying to make my backhand any better because I'm just going to walk away consistently frustrated by doing that. I try to just hit really good forehands all day. So, you know, it's a stupid, silly example, but I like the fact that you're playing to strengths and you're doubling down on strengths and that you're just focused on the successes and let's see how many successes we can get by doubling. I I, I think it's it's... It's very nice. I mean, kudos to to both of you. And I suppose, Ken, when you're when you're when you're sketching this out, did you see it as successful it was as it as it now is, and the scale that you're getting was that when you were when you were drawing those things out on Photoshop initially? Is this is this how you saw it? Yeah, uh, definitely. In fact, it's even better. I think Kate and I say all the time, it's even better than we had imagined. Wow. Um, so our, we happen to connect with a, with a really good software team that's been able to capture our vision and go above and beyond kind of our vision and really make this something into something really special. And, uh, you know, I, one of the reasons I, I love working with Kate and kind of just fell in love with the vision was that we are success focused. I think there's a lot of stigma in this field uh, around failure. Um, so I think looking at things in a successful way, let's look at successes, let's build strengths because that will help resolve some of the other issues mm. uh, with people in care. So, so yeah, that was what really kind of drew me in. And so we are very success focused. We're very, you know, person-centered. Everything we do is person-centered. We we make all these disparate systems come together and build it around a person. So that's that's what's great about it. 
being success focused, it isn't just the opposite of being risk focused. It's an entirely different model mathematically. So it really is a whole different approach to looking at the data. I just wanted to mention that it's not it's not just the uh, reciprocal of failure. It really is uh, looking longitudinally. A lot of times risk observation is cross-sectional. They'll take the data. I'm getting mathematical here. I'll try to stay I out stay. of the weeds. But they'll take the data and they'll look at everybody where everybody is in point in time. And they'll look across it, everyone, and they'll they'll just mark, you know, everybody gets a, a flag of whether they're at a high or low risk. Where success-focused, you really need to look longitudinally over time and see, you know, for people who have achieved success, you have to start looking at folks who were, were at risk and they lowered that risk, right? And they've and they've worked. So it's a it's a it's a much more complex model than risk stratification, which is likely one of the reasons why many um, many folks don't do that. And the second reason why is because there's a history of actuarialism, um, which is what was, you know, a lot of the statistics were born out of that we use today in medicine was actuarialism, but the insurance, which predicts when people are going to meet their demise, right? It's very, very failure focused. Um, and we've just kind of adopted that in the medical world rather than thinking about um, hey, there's people that have gone through care and actually achieved success. And what does that look like? Instead, we we really focus on the people who have failed. I love that. And you mentioned insurers there. I mean, let's talk about the business model a little bit because it's interesting. It's often good ideas are good ideas, but it's often difficult to monetize good ideas as well. Um, but you obviously have found a way with a few different payers. I notice on your website, you've got providers, you've got communities, you've got employers, like there's lots of different audiences that this is relevant for. Was it difficult to find a business model here to find the payer? Um, who are they? Um, what do they get? What's the value propositions to them? Talk to me a little bit about the business model. We do add value uh, to just a single community-based organization provider, uh, and the value that we add there is the ability for them to understand who they're serving well and look at those journeys visually, because a lot of times those electronic records, even just locally, will take data in and kind of lock it up uh, and, and not return it in any useful way at the point of care. So we'll help them visualize, and we really do create visual story maps, you know, they're there are things that, that you can look at um, and kind of see that journey of the patient very quickly. And then community-based providers also tend to have multiple electronic systems and they can't see across their book of business. So we can unify that so they can see across the whole system. But then when you move up the stream and you think about pairs uh, in the United States, and I'm not sure if it's similar over across the pond there, but in the United States, the payers will often, when in, in the mental health space, subcontract out to either third-party administrators who then subcontract out to the community-based organizations that we started with, right? And so the, what they'll have is um, many, many, a network of many, many community-based organizations providing the care that is being paid for. And they have no ability to look across their book of business either. So they get claims that are paid, but the claims data includes very limited information, maybe a diagnosis at the most from a clinical standpoint and some clinical notes. And then they have to pay or deny those claims. And that's about the, all they get. And it's very difficult to understand from that data 
truly, if people are making, uh, being served in an impactful way, all you really know is how many service minutes people received and what kind of medications are on. You can't see anything about whether their symptoms are reduced or their, their well-being is improved. There's nothing in there to help you understand that, um, besides maybe some clinical notes if they're written properly. Um, and so what we'll do is we will gather information, connect across all those different organizations, bringing it together, um, structured visual maps of the people being served. And we will also automate the note writing from those because there's a lot of good structured data in there that can begin writing clinical notes around the reduction of symptoms. Um, and so we will reduce the time that organizations spend writing these clinical notes because uh, we can automate that for them. And then we will increase the likelihood of that they'll get reimbursed on those claims because the clinical notes are now formulaic and structured. And for the payer, they get to see across their book of business in a uniform way that ha includes clinical information structured to show reduction in symptoms, moving toward a value-based care model. And so um, it's a win-win on both sides with us as the integrator. Yeah, and you said it, value-based care, moving to that model. Very, very nice. My, I guess, final bit of questioning here is around the future. You, you alluded to there, Kate, the data that you guys are party to and the, the types of things that you're able to do. What does the future hold here for you guys? Is it more of the same? Is it different products? Is it use of that data in an, in, in an interesting way? You guys are the experts, I'll let you tell me rather than me listing potential things that might not be right. But yeah, I'm, in, I'm very intrigued as to what you guys might have planned here because I think you've probably got a few aces up your sleeve. Yeah, um, yeah I can answer that. Uh, so the, <clears throat> the, we've, we already have um, or some of our customers clamoring for it, but folks want to start to see what does the journey look like in my organization for somebody compared to somebody else's yeah. organization. They want to see across. They want to learn from other people's data. They want to say, you know, I've got this really – uh, this person who, who's high cost, high need, and I, I've tried everything in my up my sleeve and I don't know how to serve this person. So, you know, but we're responsible for this person in a value-based care model. I don't know what to do next. Can I look across and see if anyone else has served somebody with a similar set of needs, a similar set of complex circumstances? And what did they try and what worked? You know, and so that's the future is folks and they've already requested to do it, and I've set this up for university, they want to donate their de-identified patient data, of course, uh, to a, a, a greater pool of information of success-focused pattern recognition so that should they begin to serve somebody with a very complex set of needs, they can look across you know, other organizations and begin to learn from what has worked there. And I think that's the future we cannot use the data in any you know, way that an electronic health worker or EMR would be authorized to use the data. We're, we're similar, we're under the similar requirements as say one of those um, or you know, pieces of software. So you know, there's, the data belongs to the patient. Um, we're GDPR compliant. Um, so we would remove any records that you know, the patient require, requested to be removed. Um, and all of the right agreements need to be in place. So we're moving cl closely, carefully, you know, within the law toward an ability to create a greater intuition that goes nationwide and perhaps worldwide. Well, you preempted my last question there about uh, worldwide and what, what your global scale might look like. It, it does strike me. We as, have customers in England. I was going to ask you, it does strike me as yeah. something very, very useful 
over here. And I can see, you know, in my mind's eye, seeing somebody, you know, access their, I guess, family doctor, you call them in the US or, you know, their primary care physician here in the UK. And at that point, they are then guided properly through what's going to actually be best for them. I mean, you, you mentioned it, there's so many different routes available, be that community mental health support, be that apps at the other end or be that you know coach person one-to-one person stuff like there's there's so many things that, that can be done but a, a way of knowing what's going to work and what's not then that person's route through the system is going to be more efficient it's going to be better for them higher quality for them that they get it right first time or at least closer to first time than the usual first line second line third line something more personalized to them makes a heck of a lot of sense but also then cheaper healthcare for that person overall which means that healthcare economy can serve more people and make more impact and be better which as you quite rightly point out is a win win and yeah I, I think very 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 exciting a very cool company a very exciting company and i've really really enjoyed speaking to you guys for people that want to learn more about what you're up to uh, and that might, I imagine there might be a few people that want to get in touch to learn more. What's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, probably the best way to, is to go to our website and that's uh, opeka.com, O-P-E-E-K-A.com. Or they can reach us at info at opeka.com. Awesome. And if anybody wants to find you guys, uh, can they grab you on LinkedIn or Twitter? What's your favorite way to be annoyed with a DM? Uh, I think we're we're both yeah we're both LinkedIn yeah. people Excellent. so definitely uh, definitely find us on LinkedIn yeah Excellent you can find their names in the description of this episode guys so Ken and Kate thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure Hey everyone thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode remember to subscribe rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content 